Hi, it's Garen with Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Need a new roof fast? Consider Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Our rapid repair team will get you a quote within 24 hours and will always repair before we replace. One call does it all. Shamrockroofer.com. You are listening live to the program. Your teams, your town, your program. I told some of my teammates and my coaches, like, if I got a chance in transition, I'm going to launch one. Clark, logo three. Got it. 22 is now number one. Caitlin Clark is the NCAA's all-time scoring leader in women's basketball history. Clark comes off a screen three-pointer. Swish! Left to the top of the key. And there it is. 49 for Caitlin Clark. The single best scoring performance by an Iowa basketball player. I'm just thankful to be surrounded by these people, this place. I'm just so grateful, honestly. Hey! This heaven? No. Iowa. And now, a man who thinks if he could have coached Caitlin Clark as a second grader, she might have been something, Seren Petro. Right you are, Kay. Right you are, Petro, in the program on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Friday edition, chilly Friday. Hopefully one of our last blasts of winter, reminding you that it is basketball season. I'll say this. I always had a green light. I always had a green light. <laughs> always had a green light. I wonder. I, mean, I haven't read as much about maybe, it. As maybe maybe had some parents that didn't think their kid had a green light. Just but imagine how, how good did. was how good was she in second grade? As a oh, I mean, she was insane. I'm sure she was. I'm sure that she was like she's gonna be pretty good. I think at this boy, she can really shoot. Yeah, she is flat out awesome. I, somebody said, I can't remember. It was somebody famous. I think it was like a baseball or football player. Didn't somebody text out, she's going to have an incredible career in the NBA? <laughs> Not the WNBA. <laughs> right. They're like, this girl will go, you know, hang some numbers in the NBA. We've, uh, we've never seen a shooter like that. I uh, I was out and about, and when she hit the uh, Logo 3, there was one, me and one other guy at the uh, place I was eating that were aware of what was going on. And she hit that, and the guy goes, oh! <laughs> I love her comment. Everybody else is like, what's going on? What's, what, what's happening? I love her comment that we played in the open. I told my teammates if I got a chance in transition, I was going to let one fly. <laughs> yeah. Logo three. I was launch one. Boom. Logo three to set the. How would we the describe official it? The official NCAA. The unofficial official. Yeah, the official as we know, women's record. In this, in this part, she's got about 100 points to right. go, right? Uh, to set the official. Uh, NCAA Division One record. She'd have to. She has ninety nine points to pass. Uh, what order? Uh, no, to pass. Um, Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich. But to, yes. to, to pass the women's because Lynette Woodard was playing in the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't count because yeah. women playing sports were not worth the effort. They were one one year to shot. jot down their statistics until nineteen eighty two. Well, it's, it's it's partially that, but partially we know. Just basketball as a whole uh, doesn't like to talk about KU basketball. Oh, uh, <laughs> doesn't yeah, get enough probably. coverage. Yeah, poor old KU. Yeah, they don't get enough coverage is what that is. You know, finally, you know, just, just getting beat up as always. Yeah. <laughs> Love that one. Um. <laughs> KU always getting short shrift on the hardwood. Mike, I mean, attention. come on. Can we get some attention, please? Uh, no, but uh, Lynette Woodard, we recognize... 
Uh, she is still 81 points behind Lynette Woodard. That's the thing. She's yeah. catching her. For I what think you she's would getting the, the big, big college or big school record. There's I'm, one out there that's a small school. The governing body that governed it when Lynette Woodard played divided things into large school and then just overall. The AIAW overall yes. record, I think you're speaking yes. of, 3,884 by Pearl Moore of Francis Marion. 1976 to 1979, Clark needs 316 points to pass more. And she's got a year. She's got a COVID year. And I don't know enough about NIL, and I don't know enough about the WNBA to know if if she could make more NIL next year and and forego the NBA for another year. WNBA. Excuse me. Unless she is going to (laughs) push the envelope. Apologies. WNBA, yes. But point is, if she wants, she's got another year of eligibility. Iowa, she could set that number at something that, knock on wood, there won't be a reason for another COVID year. And so she could just push that thing beyond anything anybody could ever touch. Yeah. She's going to pass both Woodard and Maravich probably before the regular season is over. She's got four games left there. And what is she averaging per game right now? About 30. Is it 30? I saw 31. She's only got four left in the regular season? Yeah. Okay. And then they got so let's call it 100. Let's give her 30 a game. Yeah, it's 120. 120. Yep. And then she would need to get to this. Uh, have a little, little more, fewer than 100. She, she needs about 10 games. Yeah, because I think they'll give her the ball. Yeah. So that may not be possible because they'd have to win all three games in the Big Ten and then go to the championship game, but. Why would you bet against her that she played in it last year? Or was it the semifinals? They went to the title. That would be 12. If she went all the way, that would be 12 games, right? Right. They played 64. I I thought you were saying need 10 games from the end of the regular season. You're saying just 10 games from here. Yeah, that's a good point. 316. You said four regular season, three in the Big Ten. And then if she went all the way to the championship game, she potentially could have 13 13 games. She's only guaranteed six more games. Yeah. Four and then a first-round exit in the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, she's fantastic. It's and she's so it's crazy fun. I mean the the swag. She's Steph Curry. It's it's so it's so Curry esque. Like, and, and it start like there was so much hype. She scored. If I'm not mistaken, she scored the first eight points for Iowa last night. Yes, she yeah. needed eight points. <laughs> yes. and it was she scored all of them. Just right away, and she's coming down on a fast break, and she's like, yeah, pull not? up from 35, let's do it. When you watch her play, it looks so easy. I mean, it looks, even in a group of players that are really good, she looks like she's not, like, touching the ground. The I don't know how to describe it, but it looks like she's just kind of. Yeah, there's there's more history about to be made. Gino Ariema is what one went away from Mike Krzyzewski, mm-hmm. and I think seven away from was it the Stanford coach? Yeah, I forget her name. Tara Vanderveer. Yeah, yeah. She's got the most you. Division One wins, men's or women's basketball. About seven, seven more than Mike Shashevsky. So he's coming up on that. Unlike, you know, back when Gina Oriama first got started, I mean, they were the only game in town, right? Like, women's basketball has really exploded, and the competitive level right now. South Carolina is undefeated, number one in the country. K State's got a great team uh, right now. You know, you've got more teams that could play with the best teams. There for a while, there was like two teams, yeah, right, and they would crush people by like one ten to thirty six. That's kind of gone away. The depth of of mm-hmm. women's college, and she has come on. Is it at the depth of men's college basketball? No. So she does stand out. Her skills 
stand out even more than maybe, say, Steph Curry's did at Davidson. But I think he's also improved his game so much since Davidson. But but it is a much more, no offense to Lynette Woodard, but high-level women's college basketball is much more competitive now during her era than it Mm -hmm. was... When Lynette Woodard and as much, I mean, as much as money drives everything in in this country, I think people watched Tennessee and and Connecticut, and for a time, Louisiana Tech had a had a program, but and Texas Tech in the nineties. And I think what you're seeing is is other programs going. Oh, wait a minute, we can get eight thousand, ten thousand in our barn if we get a top shelf women's team. Yeah, let's do it. And the investment came. And I think they owe, as with every sport, they owe the people who came before them. And Gino, Tara Vanderveer, um, Pat Summit, you know, what we're seeing now is a result of their work and, and their push of this of this sport. Yeah, it's, it yeah. is great. I mean, the, the three things you can have as a player, I would think, are, one, she has an amazing set of skills, obviously, the ability to shoot. She has an incredible work ethic. She you know, works as hard as anybody else. And she has the intellect to understand the game as it's being processed. And each one of those things helps out the other two. Part of the reason it looks so easy for her and it looks like she's just floating is because there's no wasted movement. Every move she makes is the right is the right one. She goes to the right spot easily, and everything's so efficient. And the, to be so good at all three of those things is why she's the best player the game has ever seen. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 incredible. So congratulations to her. There, as we point out, there are some more records to fall. Eighty-one points away from Lynette Woodard. Uh, Pete Maravich, she's ninety-nine points away from Pearl Moore. She is three hundred and sixteen points away. So uh, there are still records to fall uh, with her. But an amazing accomplishment last night yeah. and. Uh, What'd she end up with? 49? 49. Which is, as you also heard in the open, is but, the I mean, most she points. she is a ball hog. Yes. I mean, you know, she only had 12 assists yeah, she, to go with the 49. That was the most points ever scored in a basketball game by an Iowa player. So she set she set two records last night. Yeah. Just just a, a treat. Yeah, that's uh, that's impressive. And, and players like that, that's what's inspiring. And there's one of the reasons they kind of feed off each other. How many girls are going to play basketball because of Caitlin Clark? That are going to be that are going to make the I next know, generation of basketball players even better. I know an outstanding uh, eighth grade point guard that uh, it's not my daughter, by the way. Uh, my daughter's the, the glue type, plays yep. hard, but she quit basketball. Although she's making a comeback, ah, nice. yeah, for one Good. game only. Um, but uh, I know a young lady who's eighth grade, and uh, Caitlin Clark's. Yes. The thing. And so you are absolutely right. It, it does. It inspires many young ladies. And uh, beyond play. Sorry, and, and beyond the sports thing, we've all seen the statistics of what how much better women girl, young girls' lives are if they are interested in sports. They're in all kinds of breakdowns. Getting involved in sports at a young age uh, spawns all kinds of positive impacts down the road. So I, I, it's there are no negatives, just massive positives about this story. Yeah. No, uh, it, it's a great one. So uh, we'll keep an eye on her and uh, see if she can uh, make her way all the way uh, to uh, to hold all these records. It'd be kind of cool if she – what did we decide if she plays all all 13 games? Would she? Does she have a realistic shot of, of getting the mm-hmm. – Oh, yeah, all of them for sure. So what, what – she, I mean, needs, she needs about 
10 games, at 31 a game, she needs about 10 games, she'll be knocking on the door of the last one, which is Pearl Moore. How about she averages a little less than that, gets 13 games, and breaks it winning a national championship? Be a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you'd say it, it's too perfect to be for true. For the game winner then... and the record from half court. Good. <laughs> Breaks the all-time record. 50, 50 points in the game. Sets some kind of record. Wins the national championship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, be... you'd think that's too much of a storybook to be true. But then you watch what the Chiefs have done the last five years. You go, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, all and right. Always uh, just re- well, sorry. One real quick. Stunning. We all, we all, but I know you guys will agree with this. Anytime something like that happens in in our part, you know, it's not Kansas City, but our part of the country, yeah. you know, it's nice. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, not some New York record. It's happening in Iowa. I like that. Was it heaven? Iowa. No, it's Iowa. Home of the left lane cloggers, you know. <laughs> Chef's kiss to your It smells like pigs. If you know, you know. <laughs> Go ahead and try I eighty out of Des Moines. Give it a shot. Uh, Give it a shot. It's one of the few things I I don't travel much, but I know what you're talking about. Des Moines, Iowa City. It's eighty miles of yep pure bliss. Our, our, our trip to Green Bay and. In, in, Included that. Yeah. I went to Chicago in 1990 to watch the Chiefs and Bears. Snow and St. Louis. Like, ah, let's go through Des Moines. It's got to be faster. Yeah. Eh, maybe not. Uh, let's take a break. I want to come back. I want to play uh, a little Kyle Shanahan. This is an interview that did not make it on the TV here in Kansas City during the Super Bowl coverage. Uh, quick interview, quick question of Kyle Shanahan. Uh, and I bring this up not to run down Kyle Shanahan because I don't think Kyle Shanahan. I. I I believe Kyle Shanahan did not know the overtime rule, as do many. I think this points even more to it. And I bring it up just to show how on top of it Andy Reid is. The fact that Andy Reid had it and his players say they've been talking about it since training camp, to me, shows just how, if he's that on top of the rules, don't you think he's on top of everything else? Uh, We'll talk about that next. We'll hear Kyle Shanahan uh, question and answer that he was uh, given in between the game ending and going up at the podium where he said, oh, I wanted the ball first when we get to the second round of overtime. In between, he had a different answer. We'll talk about that next here in the program. Friday edition of the program rolls on here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to hear from Eric Eager. Uh, let the cat out of the bag. Conversation we recorded Wednesday uh, before the parade. Planning on playing it, wrapping up on Wednesday. But obviously things went uh, tragically wrong. Uh, with the parade, did not get to it then. And uh, But good stuff wrapping up the season with Eric Eager, as it always is. Uh, we'll hear from Eric Eager uh, coming up in our next segment. Uh, so that's Coming up, uh, Danny Unleashed with Danny Klingskill in the 3 o'clock hour. Two-minute drill at 4. Seth Kaiser in the 4 o'clock hour. Didn't get a chance to talk to Seth on Wednesday either. Got to wrap up the film study. Oh, yeah. What do the uh, tapes say? Seth Kaiser tells us. Uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, get you the things you need to know and Kevin Harlan in the 5. So uh, a lot of Chiefs talk today. Uh, one of the things I want to play here is... Kyle Shanahan, I think this is of note not to bury Kyle Shanahan. Because I'll tell you again, I think a lot of coaches went, holy crap, that's the rule? When the Super Bowl played out the way it did? But I I bring it up just to show how on top of it Andy Reid and his staff are. This is an interview 
with um, Evan Washburn. Evan Washburn from CBS did not air. You went back and checked. I, I checked. Yes, I, I don't know uh, where... not locally because those things often come at the end. And by the time they got to that point of the part of the schedule or part of the thing, uh, the Chiefs had already KCTV five had already broken into local programming, local coverage. Right. So, so we, we had broken away from local. Yeah. So maybe this aired nationally everywhere else. Right. Um, but they got Kyle Shanahan before he got to the podium, mm-hmm. right? And uh, this is it. the questions on there, right? Yes. This is this is the Q and A. Washburn asking uh, Kyle Shanahan a couple of questions immediately following the game. Understanding it's raw, and again, it went into overtime. But is there anything right now that you feel like was the difference down the stretch? Um, I mean, love to score a touchdown there at the end. I could pad another chance. Had our opportunity to get him off the field on fourth down. We didn't. Um, Pat's done that a bunch. Uh, he does it almost all the time. So uh, it was a hard-fought hard, hard game. Um, went a lot like we thought it would go. Had our chances there and didn't get it done. All right. A couple hmm. things. One, it's pretty easy to connect dots. I don't think you're out of line if you say, wait a minute, he said, Wanted to score a touchdown there and not give Pat a chance. It's pretty easy to say, well, he doesn't know the overtime rules. He thinks in overtime, if they can score a touchdown, Mahomes doesn't get a shot with the ball. He does. We've played numerous auto use check. The fullback saying, I didn't know that. They get the ball even if we score a touchdown. Yep. Right? The Chiefs clearly knew it. They were excited that they lost the coin toss, and the 49ers did exactly what they wanted him to do. And then he adds on, could have gotten him off the field on fourth down. The Chiefs did not convert a fourth down when they went down to tie the field goal. Tie with a field goal in regulation. The only fourth down they converted late in the game was in overtime when they were driving for what ultimately would be the game-winning touchdown with McCole Hardman. I suppose you could say, well, he was saying we wanted to get one more first down in regulation to where we could have run the clock all the way down and not given Pat a chance to come back and tie it. But he says, and score a touchdown. If you were going to, like, I guess there's a bizarro world where you think you can run it down, and on the last snap, you're going to go for a touchdown instead of a field goal? Why I don't know either one would win, and which one's more likely to be converted? A field goal where kickers today are converting at 90% from all distances combined, and somehow you're thinking, I'll go for a touchdown at the end of the clock, so Patrick Mahomes doesn't have any time. I, I, that's a big, that's a stretch I can't make. We, you know, we played this now. Now, as everybody knows, ninety nine percent of the time we just show up at one fifty eight, and that's all that we do for this show. That's right. We made last it. night. We actually did a little work, and we were talking about this in our text thread last night. And I, I presented the possibility maybe he was talking about the drive at the end of regulation. But more, the more I hear it, the more I think, no, I, he just, I don't think he knew the rules. You, 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 like, if you wanted to be his defense attorney, yeah, you'd make a case that, no, he was talking about finishing in regulation. Then he brought up, yes, later, he didn't do a good job of separating it, but his point and what he meant was, in regulation, I wanted to stall the clock out and not give Pat a chance to go down. And then, oh, yeah. we also had a shot to stop him on fourth down. In overtime, we could have got there. That's a that's a stretch I can't make. I I would still I I don't think it. That doesn't get him out of beyond a reasonable doubt. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. That statement doesn't work at the end of regulation or the end of overtime. Because we just mentioned at the end of regulation, it's a faulty strategy. The only way the Chiefs that Pat gets the ball back to use his name, 
is if they score a touchdown. And in overtime, they wouldn't have prevented him from getting the ball because the new rule guarantees in the ball regardless of what the 49ers do. And expand that, Curtis, because I know you talked about this in our pre-show meeting. Go further with that. Talk about the end of the regulation. Last, the chi- yes, the last year. Yeah. The last year with the Chiefs. Yeah, third and four coming out of the two-minute warning. Everyone that I saw on Twitter, half a dozen people that I know follow football are They're saying. talking about last year's Super Bowl against no, the No, this, 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 this year's. This year's. I'm putting yeah. this year's situation. When the 49ers come out, they're third and four. They're thinking, you know, if, if they get the first down here. It's over. The Chiefs should just let them score on the next play because that's the only way Mahomes gets the ball back. Otherwise, they're going to do what the Chiefs did last year, right. and that's run the clock down as far as they can and kick the game-winning field goal. And that's the, what made that play by Trent McDuffie so important. And if the 49ers are smart, they'd hand the ball off, and Christian McCaffrey take a knee at the one, just like yes. we saw Jared McKinnon, McKinnon do to burn it down. That's why getting that stop on that third down was critical. Yes. It was the game. Scoring a touchdown in that situation is the last thing the 49ers should have wanted. Yes. Unless somehow, in some bizarro world, he's going to... They're going to bust through the line, take a knee, and then instead of kicking the field goal with two seconds on the clock, he's going to quarterback sneak it or fullback dive it or do something for a touchdown instead of taking what is by far the higher percentage play of the field goal. Yes. The point of this is... He wasn't prepared in that in that no. one aspect. How much did it cost him? I don't know, but like when we point out that they were one first down away from being able to beat the Chiefs, like the idea that the Chiefs and this is why, like, oh, they're going to win three more in the next five years. Hold your horses. So close, razor's edge to losing this football game. Now the advantage, but, but every little advantage you can yeah. get is important, and Andy Reid gives them advantage at every turn. Yes, and the, and the one game that, that's – you have the setup, the quarterback and the head coach, that allows you – if it's a, a game that's going to be decided in the last three minutes of the game, I, I want the team in, in red and gold. Well, and that's why the idea that, oh, they're winning all these close games because the officials are on the take. Oh, they're winning all these close games. No, they're winning all these close games because you're right. In that moment, the coach and the quarterback mean so much, and that's where they lap the field. Right, It's going to come down to your quarterback's ability to get first downs, your coach's ability to manage the clock, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes do all of that better than anybody else. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll hear from Eric Eager, the VP of uh, Sumer Sports, uh, the lead, the best when it comes to analytics in the game of football. Uh, we talk to Eager next. He does the research analyzes the data, and checks the variables. He even submits his findings for peer review. He's the only man with a lab code made entirely from NFL bed sheets. He's data scientist Eric Eager of Sumer Sports. Only on the program. Welcome back here on the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We continue to celebrate the uh, Chiefs win in Super Bowl 58. Uh, we do it by talking to our good friend, friend of the program, uh, Vice President of Research and Development for Super Sports, uh, football's leading analytics expert, Eric Eager, joins us here in the program. He's proudly brought to you by our friends at GAN. GAN Asphalt and Concrete, I'm talking about. Uh, you can find them online at GANASphalt.com. One contractor, all things parking lots. Listen, the uh, lot been banged up, knocked around, chunks out because of all the uh, all the uh, uh, plowing that goes on. If you've got a uh, parking lot that looks like the surface of the moon, 
leaving a bad impression with your clients. Let Gann Asphalt and Concrete, uh, one, take away any liability concerns with a brightly striped, perfectly smooth lot, one contractor, all things parking lot. It's Gann Asphalt and Concrete, Kansas City's best, celebrating 30 years. Uh, go to ganasphalt.com. We welcome Eric Eager to the festivities. Eric, how are you, sir? Seren, I'm doing great. Uh, much like last year's Super Bowl, I wasn't doing all that great at halftime, but I had faith uh, that this, this Chiefs defense, that uh, this really good second-half defense all year would come through, and they did, and obviously it was a, it was a lot of fun to see Patrick drive the length of the field uh, and get us uh, our Super Bowl. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, can't believe uh, this is the life we live as fans now. Yeah, it is. Three Super Bowls in five years. Yeah, you study this game from every possible angle. This is officially a dynasty, right? There's no way to try to say, oh, you're going to get to four now that they're at three. This this is a dynastic domination of the National Football League right now by this organization. Oh, yeah. And I think the way in which they've won it multiple different ways to look at, you know, Mahomes being the first quarterback with a cap hit over 14% last year, and then this year he won upset. They give him a raise, so he's the most expensive quarterback in the league, the first ever in NFL history to win a Super Bowl under those conditions. Uh, Brett Veach basically drafting an entire defense the last three years, uh, you know, holding the line on Chris Jones, Chris Jones walking back into the facility and then being a huge part of the, the reason they win the Super Super Bowl. Uh, it, it was a, a phenomenal uh, journey here. Um, and, yeah, they, they won it with, with Patrick on a rookie deal. They won it with Patrick without a rookie deal. They won it with offense, and they won it with defense. Um, you know, Andy Reid won it with his best stuff. He won it, I, in my opinion, the other day, maybe without his best game plan. Um, they, they've done it so many different ways. I think that's a mark uh, of a team that, that certainly is in the middle of a dynasty. Yeah, the um... – you know, the performance by Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, they're different people. I, you know, I just got to text from somebody quoting Brian Clark. Like I said, Patrick Mahomes is the best ever. Uh, where do you sit uh, on that discussion, right? He doesn't have the largest body of work. Tom Brady's got that. But, you know, this stretch run, is this at least the most dominant run that a quarterback has ever had? Is he at least for the last five years, six years, played quarterback at a level higher than anybody else? I think you almost have to say it. I mean, Brady obviously has is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. I think you can make a case for Joe Montana, given you know his body of work in the eighties uh, as well. Um, you know, the, the Montana was kind of the quarterback of the, the the team that had the best chance of three peating the Niners in eighty eight through ninety. Uh, but Patrick, you know, I think you can make a very good case. He's the best quarterback, you know, that, that you know, the, the quarterback that anybody would take with, with one game on the line. Um, it's so such an impressive performance by him. I said this last time, Bold, the best Chiefs podcast. They were yeah, they, they really stretched him out this year. He had the highest pressure percentage this year of his career, 35.8% of his dropbacks were pressured, 64 uh, of his dropbacks turned into scrambles. That was the highest of his career. His average depth of target was 6.9 yards, meaning uh, that was the lowest of his career, so he couldn't go downfield as much. He only had two players uh, during the regular season that had over 500 yards receiving and only three that had, had over 400 yards receiving, Justin Watson with 460. Uh, he had the highest time to throw of his career three three seconds 3.00 meaning guys weren't getting open earlier earliest in the down uh and, and so i look at that and i see a team that's like look 
because of the constraints, and we've seen, you know, Brett Beach talk about this. I've said this before. You know, they're, they're not a high-spending team, uh, cash to cap. They're not a uh, a team that that goes balls to the wall the way the Eagles do and the and the Browns do. That they spend within their means and they they give Patrick what he's worth, and so they have to ask a lot of him and this year they asked a lot of him putting you know receivers like MBS and Justin Watson and McCole Hardman and Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney uh, and an aging Travis Kelsey who was injured for a lot of the year with that bone bruise in his knee uh, Jawan Taylor Donovan Smith is his two tackles because they didn't want to pay Orlando Brown and he fought through a lot of that and and as a result uh you know they got one of the best defenses in the league because they invested in that side of the ball and patrick just you know overcame a lot of that and wasn't pretty it was the worst regular season of 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 his career of course from a team perspective but also his statistics perspective uh but it didn't matter and he you know was phenomenal the whole time and uh i i think this was his most impressive uh super bowl maybe not his best super bowl season but his most impressive one eagers with us here in the uh, program you mentioned brett Feach and the work he did do they win this super bowl without chris jones I, I don't think so. Um, I think he was big, especially early in the year. Remember, they, they started the season so fast uh, after the loss to Detroit. Uh, they won a bunch of games in a row. They started at, what, 7-2 and two or so. And I think Jones is a big part of that. Um, I think the defense was really – the defense was carried by the secondary, but Jones was really a reason why Karloftis, I think, emerged and why in this particular game, why Purdy missed some throws that could have ended up being touchdowns. Uh, I think Jones is a big reason why they won the Super Bowl. So I would say no. Um, but he will probably be a reason, you know, he, he probably can't stay, you know, because of the, the way the finances work. They're going to have to pick between him and Snead in all likelihood. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out a way to win without him. Yeah, and you, you said pick between the two. Let me, let me ask you first, do they win without uh, LeJarius Snead this year? No, I don't think so. I and, and McDuffie, that's the best quarter, cornerback combination not only in the NFL this year, but probably one of the best that we've seen in the NFL in half a decade. Uh, just both of them, how they work, both one guy can play inside, one guy can play outside. You know, McDuffie had the great blitz on the third down. Uh, it, you know, when the Niners basically, if they picked up a first down in that play, could have basically run the clock down and iced the game to a field goal. Uh, McDuffie made a tremendous play. Sneed's been in that position before. The versatility of those two guys, one being able to play inside, one guy being able to play outside, uh, just phenomenal work by both of those those men to be able to really uh, build a defense in a second around them, I don't think they and I think that that's why they should prioritize Snead over Jones, even though Jones has been you a know, better player for longer uh, Snead a little bit younger, Snead I think even though he has that, that knee concern, and, and it was a concern all, you know, in the regular or preseason as well this year I think he's probably the, you know, if you want to use a franchise tag on him, I think he's the one that you want to keep around at least for another year. Yeah, and, but is it a year and a year only? Because 27, you know, uh, is, is your athletic peak. I think it might even be like 27.4 or something like that. Is your athletic peak. He's already 27. So we begin the downslope of his career. You don't immediately get old and lose all your skills. But second you know, big bloated corner contracts, uh, you know, in the, for the second contract have not aged well. Is it okay you consider a franchise tag and keep me around for one? Or, or would you be in favor of trying to bring the cap number down as much as you can, backloading a deal and writing it out for a full second contract? Or is there only one more at a, or one at a time from here on out? 
I, I think it depends upon what Snead will take. Um, Traverius Ward is, you know, three years, $42 million for the 49ers has done a pretty good job for them, but that, that's going to be significantly less than what Snead's going to command after this year. Um, I, I think Tice Hag is probably it because he's at the top of the market. You're not going to get a deal with him in a long-term deal. So to me, it's the franchise tag uh, and and work with that uh, because the franchise tag buys you some planning. I mean, they've done a really good job. You know, remember this year they were planning on starting Nazi Johnson, uh, the, the one of the seventh-round picks that they had. Uh, he was running ahead of guys like Jalen Watson. He was running ahead of guys like Joshua Williams uh, this this spring, even though uh, and summer, even though. Uh, he had been behind those guys their rookie years. He tears his ACL in August. Like, they have a lot of depth there. Uh, Shamari Connor as well is a guy that can play inside, also play some safety. Like, they've done a good job of drafting in the secondary um, to eventually plan. Um, that was why it was so big to get Chris Jones in the building this year because, you know, you know that this team is planning for the future. They need a defensive tackle now. Um, if they would have played the whole year without Jones, for example, it would have been a mess. But now they can kind of plan and, and that, uh, you know, they go into the 2024 season without a big hole there. I think that that's a similar idea. You, you hold the line on, on Snead. You play one more year without him. You plan for 2025 to play the year uh, possibly without him and with reinforcements to replace him. With their depth, and I think Snead is better than Charvarius Ward, but they, they've replaced Charvarius Ward with, with their depth and their ability to develop corners. Uh, they're better uh, holding 22, what is that, I think 22 million? Is that the number for uh, a corner? Uh, on a franchise tag, is that right? I think it's a little bit less. I'd have to look though. It's it's around that number, right? And their their salary cap is, is space is about that, right? Twenty two. Um, you know, they have Valdez Scantling. They'll probably move on. They can save ten there or restructure. Or, you know, basically Valdez Scantling is either going to be gone or take a pay cut. That's about ten that they're going to save there. Mahomes they can restructure up to twenty eight. Tooney as well. So they'll they'll get to about fifty million in cap space at some point. Uh, so they'll use a amount of that on Snead. Um, with a with a franchise tag, um, and and that'll be I think probably money well spent at least for this next year. All right. So, but what are they better at? I mean, because they do have we we mentioned it many times: Chris Jones, Derek Naughty, Michael Dana, Drew Tranquil, Willie Gay, Legarius Sneed, Donovan Smith. Uh, these are all free agents, and as you just said, we'd be in favor probably of, of making sure that MVS either gets a restructured contract or is just just out uh, with the cap number that's there. That's another wide out. I don't think anybody's clamoring for Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony to get snaps next year. So that's a rebuilding of an entire wide receiver core minus Rashi Rice. And by the way, Justin Watson's not signed either. He's a guy that I think people are like, yeah, I like him as kind of the fourth, fifth guy. Okay, but he's not even signed. So with all this work that you have to do, are you better – Going out and, and, you know, finding three guys the way they did with Tranquil, Amenehu, and Mike Edwards, um, you know, to, for that $20 million slot, are they, are they better throwing it all at a free agent wideout uh, and, and developing more of their young defensive backs, or are they better giving it to Snead and staying status quo? Yeah, I, I think it depends. I, you know, Jeff Judea on our show last night said, look, like, in big games, it's been the superstar players for the Chiefs, right? It's been Frank Clark, uh, as much as I hate calling him that. Like, that's, he's a big, he's a big dollar guy. He's made big plays in the playoffs. It's Chris Jones. It's Snead. It's, it's McDuffie. It's Tyree Kill. It's Travis Kelsey. It's Mahomes. So, like, I agree with you in principle that, if you move on from Jones, you move on from Snead, you build it up in the aggregate. I think that, you know, 
in a couple years, Travis moves on to retirement, and then you know, I, I, McDuffie, Karloftis, I think are two superstars you probably want to give second contracts to. The, it, it you need to keep the blue chip players on the team, and I and I just think that it's a lot to let both of those guys go at once, and so. I do agree with you. Fiscally, it might be best to let them both go. I think, like, splitting the difference, though, if I had to keep one, I'd keep Sneed. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it might be easier just to try to build it up in the aggregate, especially considering what you just said. I mean, their left tackle, Donovan Smith's not coming back, or if he is coming back, it's it's not going to be necessarily that inexpensive. You know, it was, it was inexpensive this year, but it's, you know, it, it's – it's going to cost something to get a real left tackle this year. Uh, wide receiver, you know, you could let MBS go, but you got to if you're going to replace MBS with a veteran, it's going to be more expensive. Um, and same thing with with defensive tackle. Like they don't really have great defensive tackles on this team. Uh, and if they're going to get a veteran in there, that's a premium position in the NFL now that's expensive too. So to your point, if they blow twenty million on 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 Snead, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to fill uh, in free agency with with uh, with players with NFL experience uh, throughout positions that they truly need, like defensive tackle, like linebacker with Willie Gay probably probably being let go, and Drew Tranquil probably uh, finding a better contract than he got here, elsewhere, etc. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's probably more fiscally responsible to let Jones and Snead walk. It, it'll be jarring, though, to see that happen. Is putting the franchise tag on the Jerry Snead and trading him an option, do you think there would be a market somebody would be willing to give up uh, high picks, uh, you know, to, to get a guy and pay him top dollar? It might. I think, though, that there's a Juju Smith-Schuster aspect to it where Juju had a really good year for the Chiefs um, for him, but they're, you know, around the league people know about injury history, right? And Juju, there was, there was the knee, right? And we all were talking about 16, 17 million being a bargain for him, and he ended up going for 12, 13, and then the knee, the knee blew up, right? And um, so I don't know. Like, that's a good question. I think Snead played phenomenal football, but draft status and injury history uh, travel with the player. And it's not so much that Snead missed a lot of time. It's just that there's a red flag on him for a knee injury. So I think that that would keep – like, I think he has more value to the Chiefs than he does to other teams, which may may or may not reduce his price. Maybe the Chiefs do get a, a decent deal long-term with him that is more team-friendly than, than we're imagining right now. Yeah. Uh, and they get a third will, – will he alone be – third round pick compensation do you think i mean is that the look we already get a third if we just let him walk so the asking price if you're going to trade him needs to be higher than that if you're going to bother to go through with all that and you have to hold all that cap room until you get him traded uh so that handcuffs you a little bit they have it right now and they're not over the cap like the 49ers but the what, what do you think legerious need in the, on the trade market would bring probably a second uh if a second if you have to sign him to a new contract um, because he's playing for well, I mean like this is a, a first team all it should be a first team all pro type of player um, given how well he's played um, but again the knee and the and the draft capital that you know teams don't like to uh, buy into players they didn't like in the draft process, and so that they, they're, you know, they, they all took him, they all passed on him three times uh, in 2020. So that that is that's going to play a factor. So I would say a second. Um, I think people are going to be underwhelmed by the return they would actually get for him in, in such a situation, especially given that he, if he was on the franchise tag, that usually trades like that end up being a first round pick. But I don't think 
it would end up being that for Snead uh, if the Chiefs had that. And to your point, for them to wait around for that, much like Chris Jones in 2020, that's a first round. That, that, that's a that's 20 million that's sitting on your cap that you can't use. Um, is we're talking to Eric Eager here in the program? Is Travis Kelsey did his playoff push prove that he's still elite? I think that I think it showed that he I I think it showed that he has it in him but I if I were the Chiefs I would certainly not go into 2024 thinking that I'm going to get 17 games out of Travis Kelsey the way that I did in 2022 um, and maybe I'm over indexing on the injury that happened in week one Um you know, he sat in week 18. I thought that was very smart of him. He looked very good in the playoffs. I think having that week off really helped him. Um, but I, I still, at his age, he's going to be 35 next year. I just don't think that you can count on him for all 17 games to be that kind of player. And even in the Super Bowl, I think one, one of the things that precipitated uh, his blow up on the sideline with Reed is he's not a full-time player the same way he was. Like, he's on the sideline a lot more during games than normal. They played, you know, uh, Noah Gray in his spot uh, a few more times than, than, than normal. Noah Gray is playing in that 60-snap range decent amount of, of, of the season so um i would say he's not elite anymore i would say that he can be but he can give out elite performances and, and that's you know a key part of being you know a super bowl contender uh what would be your top priority this offseason what do you what are you looking for uh most knowing what is not signed what's your top priority i think that they need to get a defensive tackle that um I think they need. I think they need to get a defense, a two-way defensive tackle that is in his mid twenties. That like I wouldn't be offended if they used uh, their high pick on a on a young defensive tackle that was kind of a two-way player um, to replace Chris Jones. I I just think their biggest weakness defensively was you know stopping the run obviously, and then um, you know Chris Jones offered so much as a pass rusher there. They were they didn't have a ton of depth there. It's volumes that Mike Pinnell for two Super Bowl runs was able to come off the street and be their best run stopper uh, in both. Um, they've had a problem there for years, uh, and I, I just think like in the NFL nowadays. If you can stop the run with light boxes because you have a stout nose tackle, um, I think that that's an incredibly important uh, uh, thing to have. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, it, it's something that, you know, basically you're replacing Chris Jones. So do you see any path that keeps Chris Jones? Uh, I, I just don't. I It just, it, to me, it's, they learned from 2020 um, when, they tried to keep the whole band together, right? And it just, you know, it's just not worth it, right? Like, we talked about this last night. It's, you never win your Super Bowl. And so it's just not worth it to try to go from end to end to try to make sure that you're the best team in the NFL that year. Like, it's always good to stay in the mix, and Patrick Mahomes always keeps you in the mix. I think also the, the big thing that we need to talk about as Chiefs fans now is Steve Spagnolo always keeps you in the mix uh, if you give him above a certain amount of talent. And I think, um, you know, keeping Chris Jones around, to me, would be a desperation play to try to get a three-peat, which 
Um, if they do that, you know, they just have to be upfront about it. But I, I just don't think that that would be smart. Chris Jones has been a phenomenal chief, an amazing player for them. Uh, but I think that the the time is up, and you know, they they very much played this season out as kind of been a, a a marriage of convenience, and both got what they needed out of it. And I think that it's time for Chris to go get the money he deserves. But the Chiefs can't. I don't think can be the team that doles out that money. Do you think there's any chance T. Higgins or a Michael Pittman is out there in free agency that there is a number one wideout that the Chiefs can get, or are those guys going to be gobbled back up by their own teams? I don't think that those players become available this year. I think the franchise tag is a perfect end for Higgins. Um, I think Pittman gets paid by the by the Colts. Um, but if they're available, that's exactly the kind of player the Chiefs have been shown to go after. Right? They've gone after Jawan Taylor. They've gone after uh, Joe Tooney before. In a position of need, they have been uh, very voracious in free agency with those kind of positions before. Yeah, I'll tell you a guy that I think is going to be high on their list just because I don't think he brings the top dollar, but he's the age that they want, and I think the, the team he's leaving can't afford him, and that's Gabe Davis, uh, who's not even 25 years old. They love young free agents, and, you know, I don't think Gabe Davis comes in here and lights the world up, but Gabe Davis could at least come in and be Sammy Watkins for Rasheed Rice, couldn't he? Yes, I think that the only and, – and Davis does a better job of this than his size would indicate, but they have never been a big-body wide receiver team. Even Rasheed Rice, who coming out of SMU was thought of as kind of a, a contested catch – um, merchant, right? Uh, everybody talked about that, and hey, this is kind of the DeAndre Hopkins that everybody wanted that didn't they didn't get. Um, they they turned Rasheed Rice into a yak guy, which is really interesting in this offense. A a get open yak guy. Um, Davis is much like a you know when when he was at UCF, he ran nine routes basically every single possession. He went up and got the football. I, I just don't know if that's the kind of player Mahomes really jives with on offense, but it'd be interesting. I, if, if they wanted him, it'd be, it'd be a sea change on offense. And maybe I'd welcome that because, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been, uh, nothing if not a guy that evolves. And if he evolved into the type of player that would be willing to, uh, take, try to the chunk plays to a guy like, a guy like Gabe Davis, uh, man, maybe they'd be better off. Final Four time with Eric Eager. He's brought to you by the, our Final Four is brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. If you suffer an orthopedic injury in everyday life or playing sports, the University of Kansas Health System offers orthopedic walk-in care. It's right there at 435 and all in Overland Park. Open weekdays, 8 to 7. Saturdays, it's 8 to 2. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash orthopedics. Eric, I will start you with this. How many times have you watched the Super Bowl? Uh, just the once, um, which is the same amount of times I've watched the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. I'm going to go back and watch the the Niners Super Bowl again at some point soon, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's uh, I did it last night, so I figured you'd be ahead of me. All right. What uh, is your favorite Super Bowl city? Uh, Vegas. Vegas was it for me. I, I, Miami's close. Yeah. Um, just because of the memories or because of the town? I'm talking about the town hosting it. Uh. Yeah, the, the Vegas town hosting, it was cool. I thought Vegas did a good job. Okay, yeah, very good. Uh, and finally, uh, right now we won't hold it to you, but what's your gut tell you the Super Bowl will be? Who versus who in 2024? Chiefs-Lions. Case I'm gonna, yeah, Chiefs-Lions. Uh, doubling down on what your prediction was for this year. Well, I said Bills-Lions this year, so I was wrong. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but, but li- the Lions, Dan Campbell, go Dan Campbell.
There it is. Uh, Eric, you're the man. Great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you on down the road, my friend. Sven, you're the best. Take care. All right, what team holds the record for most third-down attempts in a single Super Bowl? Brought to you by Joe's Kansas City Barbecue.